went to heaven. Of course, I expect that, <laughs> known the Lord all my life. And as I was standing there talking to St. Peter, Pastor Doyle shows up. And I thought, well, that's strange. Both of us appear at the same time. And St. Peter said, now listen, you two preacher boys, you've got to do a special thing. Now, nobody else has to do this, but he said, there's a ladder over there. And he said, I'm going to give you a big piece of chalk. And before you go into heaven, you've got to climb the ladder and write one sin on every rung. Well, I was just enthralled talking to St. Peter and asking questions and talking to him. And all of a sudden, after, I don't know, about 10 minutes passed, I looked around and I, I said to St. Peter, I said, where's Doyle? He said, I don't know. He says, I think maybe he already started. So I got my chalk and went over and started up the ladder. And about two hours later, I put my hand up on a rung and a foot came down, a shoe came down on my hand. And I looked up, and it was Pastor Doyle. I said, what are you doing up there? He says, oh, I'm coming down for more chalk. Now, some of you will get that by lunchtime. Matthew chapter 6, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first and maybe greatest sermon. I'm going to begin with verse 19 and read through the end of the chapter where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for neither they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. That's a first as of priority. Seek as a first priority the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious of itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here ends the reading of God's word. Many of you in this building are worriers. Any worriers here? Some people by temperament are worriers. When I told one of my daughters what I was preaching on today, she said, Dad, you're a worrier. She said one time, you, you believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God. Why do you worry so much? I said, because I believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, I'm reminded of a soldier in the Civil War did something wrong and it was serious enough they brought him before Robert E. Lee. They brought him into the tent and his private was just shaking with fear, you can imagine. And General Lee said, young man, you don't have to be afraid here. You'll, you'll find justice here. And he said, that's what I'm afraid of, General. <clears throat> Fella was sleeping at night and he heard a ruckus downstairs and Woke he and his wife up, and he went down, and it was a thief just trying to steal something, getting ready to climb out the living room window. And he said, stop, please wait. I want you to meet my wife. She's been expecting you for 25 years. Uh, I, think you know, I think you know what that means. <clears throat> well, I asked Jeff to start at verse 19 because verse 25 starts this way. Therefore meaning based on what I've just said, one version says, don't be anxious. Another version says, stop worrying. Based on these truths, stop worrying. And I asked Mike what the, what the church might benefit from, and he said, I think they might appreciate a message on worry because people are full of anxiety. Isn't that true? We've lived for a year with a disease that seems to strike with its own mind. We've lost several loved ones this last year. Um, I've, I lost a good elder just a few weeks ago who had COVID, came home, and they found him dead on the floor. So we've had a disease that's been major. We've watched a political mess that's gone on for how long? In this last election, I found there's a lot of Christians who are really in turmoil over it. One person actually said, Pastor, I don't know if I believe in prayer anymore. I, I prayed so hard that we would keep a president who was pro-life, and it didn't happen that way. And if I knew it was legal, I could accept it. But she says, I don't think I could even feel like praying anymore. And I found that's very common. Many people are worried about our future, our country, and understandably so. But I thought it would be good to look at what God's Word says, and I think you'll find it very helpful on this subject of anxiety. I've done a lot of counseling in the years as a pastor for depression. Uh, I've become sort of a pro at it as I've asked the questions, and we may even do a message on that if, if time allows. But look at your text here. Therefore, he says, now stop worrying, and it's going give to us, give us some practical reasons not to. And if you have your outlines there, you can follow and fill in. And here's the first lesson, verse 19 and verse 20. First of all, material things are only temporary. 
Don't worry about stuff. Rust will take care of a lot of it, right? If you've lived long enough, you've known that. Moths will destroy your clothing. Thieves will steal your finances and your wealth. Uh, anybody ever watch Pickers on TV? It always amazes me. You'll have a farmer there. By the way, I think Pickers is just another version of Hoarders. But anyway, here's a farmer. He's got a whole yard full of old junk rusting to pieces. And they offer to pay more than I would ever pay for it. Well, I don't know if I'm ready yet to give that up. Let's wait another year till it falls to pieces. Uh, I mean, do you talk back to the television like I do? There was a sign in a junkyard, a fellow pastor was sharing this, that said, it's the grind that gets them. And he asked the guy that owned the junkyard what that meant. He said, well, you know, most people think the cars in this junkyard are here because of accidents. But they're not. Most of the cars in this junkyard are here because they simply wore out. So the first warning is don't, don't put your stuff, your, your trust in material things. It's never going to last. Um, Jane and I, when we first began housekeeping, we went to auctions to buy stuff. And I was always amazed. I, I looked down these rows of boxes, and I saw boxes full of tablecloths, gifts, still in the plastic, never opened, never used. And you know why it's there, right? Because Grandma said, I'm not going to use this until I have a special purpose for it, a, a special time. And so tons of this stuff are there. Here's a second reason. Treasuring up wealth is idolatry. I mentioned hoarders. Danny and I watch us. We, we watch an episode every week, or every day, I should say. Why? Because we love to punish ourselves. But uh, you watch people on there whose lives, uh, that, that, and I've been, in, I've been in houses like this. There's nothing but a small trail if there's that. And here's all of this stuff that we've got a team who's going to for free clean your house up, but I can't let go of it. And I say, you know, part of the counseling for some of these people, we know it's an illness, we know that too, but part of the counseling is to say, you're putting your trust and your confidence in junk, in stuff. It's idolatry. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, the Lord gives the story of uh, the fellow that had this record bumper crop, and he says, what am I going to do with all this stuff? You know, what am I going to do here? I know what I'll do. I'll tear my barns down, and I'll build bigger barns to store it all. And what he didn't know was the Lord said that night, I'm requiring your soul, and then it came to nothing, and then whose will it be, all of this stuff? And then in verse 15 of Luke's gospel, right after that story, he says this, look out for every form of greed. When John Wesley's home was burning down, his wife was at a neighbor's, and he told one of the children, run and get your mother and bring her here. She'll never see a fire like this again. That was his perspective on material things. It's only stuff. He said in verse 21 of Luke 12, this, when the man died that night, this is how it will be with anyone 
who stores up for himself and is not rich toward God. So don't, don't put your hopes and your trust and your heart. Do you remember what he said? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Show me your calendar and your bank book and I'll tell you where your heart is. Number three, look at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6. He talks about how the eye becomes clouded and distorted. I mentioned hoarders because I've seen families on there. Their house is so horrible, their children or grandkids have not been in it for 10 years. I can't imagine having a home I couldn't have my grandkids come to. And when they're trying to reason with these people, they say, well, don't you want your children to come over and friends to have a meal with you? And the answer is no, because their vision is clouded. They no longer see the value of family and children and grandkids. A number of years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a fad going around. There was a thing. What would you do for a million dollars? Anyone remember that? And they did a survey and 42% of people, this is about half, said, what would you do for a million dollars? 42% said we'd spend time in jail. 42% said we'd never see our best friend again. They said we would move permanently to a foreign country for a million dollars. And you'll love this when 42% said they'd throw their pet off a cliff for a million dollars. So it distorts how we, we, it makes some things bigger than they should be and other things smaller than they should be. And it robs your vision of what's true and what's valuable. That's why, we, that's why you need a good garage sale once in a while. Or, um, I remember when we moved, we, had, we raised four kids and we moved to a, a, out of a parsonage into a home. I made so many trips to Goodwill, I was embarrassed to drive up. Stuff that would just thrill to get rid of. Number four, verse 24. Don't worry about stuff because it's going to divide your loyalty. You can't serve God and stuff. You'll neglect spiritual things because of the cares and worries about material things. And, and that's another reason I think we need to get back to church. The Lord will protect us and take care of us. I believe that. He can do it in this building just as easily as he can in your home. Well, the Lord says, now, based upon these things, stop worrying. And in verse 25 through 34, I'm going to give you some reasons that you shouldn't worry. Number one, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll, your body, what you'll put on. One time someone caught me with two different colored socks. I quoted this verse. Don't think about what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Number one, it's unworthy of you to worry. Is it your life? Is it who you are with the Lord more important than any material thing in the world? It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what kind of a house you live in. Let me tell you about automobiles. It doesn't matter how fancy or new it is. After about six months, they all smell like stale fries. 
Don't, that's not important. It's who you are in your walk with the Lord. Um, your life is not, remember the old ad years ago about you are what you drive. That's foolish. That has nothing to do with it. Your life is not your car, your clothes, or um, uh, where you live. I think about the guy that was a, a baby boomer, one of those wealthy up-and-coming people, and he was in a car wreck, and someone was helping him at the, at the scene, and he said, I'm sorry about your car, buddy. He said, oh, no, my beamer, my beamer. And he said, what are you worrying about your car for? You lost your left hand. You lost your left arm. He said, my Rolex, my Rolex. Supposed to be funny, but but he says, don't do that. That's what pagans do. Pagans worry about everything that's not essential in life. You know what's sad, folks? Socialism is sweeping our country. Our university professors are, for the most part, socialists. And socialism is this. Life equals material things. That's socialism. That's being taught all over the country. And I have a son who teaches at high school in Mount Vernon. He teaches history and uh, government and all those things. And I said, in light of the election, uh, son, what are you doing in your high school class? He says, I'm expositorily teaching them the Constitution. Most people have never read the Constitution, yet alone what our rights are. But life, it's unworthy of you. Life isn't about stuff. You've heard the saying, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? Number two, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Why? Look at one of my favorite little poems. Look at the poem on the back of your sheet. Said the robin to the sparrow, I really do not know why it is these human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. He says, listen, if God feeds the, the sparrows, if he clothes the lilies, don't you think he will take care of you? Romans 8, 32, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not with him freely give us all things? It's unnecessary because you have a father who cares for you. He says in verse 32, he knows what you need. He says he's able to provide what you need. He says in chapter 7, verse 11, he desires what is the very best for you. And in a verse we'll look at in chapter 6 or verse 33, he will always give you what is best. Do you believe that? I think we have a lot of Christians today who are practical atheists. They believe in the Lord, but they really don't pray. They don't pray about anything. It's as if they stop believing God answers prayer. And I want to read a couple of illustrations I think are very practical related to that. One of my favorite people is Helen Rosefear. Helen Rosefear was a woman doctor, single all of her life, who went to the Congo. It's called Zaire now. She was there through the rebellion. She was assaulted and raped in the whole nine yards. But she spent her life there. And she tells about one moment in her life, and I want to read it to remind us of the fact that God cares about the smallest things. A baby was born prematurely at the hospital. 
The mother died during childbirth, and the father was not around. The baby had a two-year-old sister as well, and both were now orphans. Even though Zaire is near the equator, it does get cold there at night. And without an incubator, there was no way to keep the baby warm. So they put the baby in a box and put some cotton swabs and other things around the baby. And then Helen Rosevere sent one of the little girls from the orphanage to get the hot water bottle and fill it with water to put near the baby in the box to keep it warm. But as the girl was filling the bottle, it burst. So they decided to leave the baby in the box and take turns at night sleeping against it to keep this newborn baby warm and keep it away from the drafts. Still, there was little hope the baby would survive. The next morning, after the newborn had lived through the night, Helen went to the regular prayer time she had with the girls at the orphanage. She explained the situation about how the hot water bottle had broken and that it didn't look good for the little baby, and then they began to pray. Nobody prays like children. Nobody gets the heart of God like a child. The children prayed for a hot water bottle. One of the little girls said, and Lord, would you also, uh, uh, Lord, we need a hot water bottle. Would you bring one today? And Lord, please remember, he said, please remember this is the middle of Africa. Does anyone ever think I'm going to send them a hot water bottle? Uh, there was no corner drugstore, no Walmart, no place to purchase a water bottle. And yet one child prayed that a hot water bottle of all things would come and, and would come today. Another little girl ch ch chimed in and said, And Lord, would you please send a little dolly for the two-year-old? She's going to be so lonely. That afternoon when Helen was at the hospital, as expected, a box arrived. She and the girls gathered around it to open it, and they quickly began to take things out of the box, uh, all kinds of bandages and such. And then, to their joy, they discovered a hot water bottle. Who on earth would send a hot water bottle to somebody in Africa? Someone did. But there it was in the box. When everyone saw the hot water bottle, the little girl who prayed for the dolly started to rummage around, and sure enough, in the bottom of the box was a little doll. And Hel Helen Rosebeer went on to say, as she did many times in her ministry, God delights to answer prayer. Don't stop praying because the big request you thought God must answer didn't get answered. Because let me tell you this, God is still on his throne, and God will accomplish his purposes. He says in one verse, I will even cause the wrath of man to please me. He'll use anger and deceit for his own divine purposes. Another favorite person of mine is uh, um, let me read here. I like to tell an experience that I had when I was in prison. This is Corey Tenboom. I had a cold and didn't have a handkerchief. Remember, she lost her sister and her father. She was put into the concentration camp by the Germans for hiding Jews. I told my sister Betsy, and she, Betsy had a simple childlike faith. She said, well, Corey, let's pray for a handkerchief. I started to laugh. Betsy prayed. 
Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will give Corey a handkerchief because she has a cold. Just a bit later, I heard my name being called, and I went to the window, and I saw a friend of mine who was also a prisoner and who worked in the hospital. She said, Corey, I was thinking of you today, and I have a present for you. And she says, I opened up the present, and inside was a handkerchief she'd made me out of a piece of hospital sheet. She said, how did you know I needed a handkerchief? Did you know I had a cold? No, she said. I, I was sewing handkerchiefs from an old piece of sheet, and a voice in my heart said, take a handkerchief to Corey Tenboom. You don't have to worry. You have a father who cares for you. Not like earthly fathers. He said, well, if, an earthly, if, you, if you're hungry and you ask your father for bread, even an earthly father won't give you a stone. If you ask for fish, he won't give you a serpent. How much more will your heavenly father give? God takes care of the smallest creature. So don't stockpile. If you've got that much, and there again, another thing that boggles my mind and maybe I'm going to step on some toes here. People with storage buildings. And I've got a family in my church that runs a storage facility, and continuously someone moves out of town, never calls, and so they have to get rid of all, you could, and they have to do it by law, by auction, get rid of all this stuff. But you know, if you've got so much stuff, you have to store it. I've got an idea. Have a really good garage sale and use that money for something practical. Better yet, take it and give it to people. There's a place in Mansfield that takes old clothing and things for the poor and the destitute. And there, uh, the Salvation Army still looks for things like that. Why store it up and pay thousands of dollars when you can give it and bless somebody, bless somebody with it? What do you need two coats for if one does the job? Number three, here's a third reason, verse 27. Why worry? It's unprofitable. It won't add, the old King James says, one cubit. It won't add one hour to your life. Worrying about anything doesn't change anything. Someone said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its problems, but it empties today of its strength. It's no use. All the worrying in the world won't Change the situation. He says in Deuteronomy 33, 25, your strength will be equal to your days. Worry doesn't prevent future calamity, but diverts our energy from taking responsibility to pr for present problems. Number four, here's a fourth reason you shouldn't worry. Fragility of life is not something we don't understand or expect. Because life is so fragile, heartaches and sickness and problems are a part of life. We understand that. It's not something that's unexpected. He talks about the flowers of the field and the lilies of the valley. Uh, to me, it's amazing. There are some insects and some creatures that only live for one day. And God designed them that way. 
The Bible says life is like a vapor. Go home, turn on the, key, uh, the tea kettle, and when the steam's coming out, turn off the oven and see how long the vapor lasts. That's your life. I really believe that. Just yesterday, I was a boy at play. It was yesterday. By the way, this is grumpy old gray-haired man day. And a, a, a media post said, give me the respect I deserve. But this is officially grumpy old gray-haired man day. Psalm 103 says this, verse 13 through 19. God remembers we are dust. But then he goes on in that psalm to say, but his love for us is everlasting. The value of life is not measured by how long you live it. You need to understand that. Marshall Shelley, who was an editor of Leadership Magazine and a writer, had a son born November 22nd, 1991 at 8.20 a.m. A little boy, and they named him Tobias, which means God is good. Tobias died at 8.22 a.m. from a condition called trisomy 13. Three months later, his two-year-old daughter Mandy, just shy of her second birthday, died. And Marshall Shelley said, why did God create a child to only live two minutes and two years? And then he answered it. He didn't. He made them to live for eternity. There was a question on social media by a pastor some time back. Will there be more people in heaven or hell? And I chimed in, and I gave them Spurgeon's answer. Spurgeon was eloquent with this. He said, there are going to be more people in heaven than hell. He said, wait a minute, Pastor. The broad road leads to destruction, and the narrow road leads to life. Yes, that's true, but some other things are also true. Spurgeon said, think of all of the babies and the infants. There are countries in the world where, where the vast majority of children never live past the age of five. Heaven will be populated with children. And Spurgeon also believed that when, when the millennium comes, when the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth like the waters fill the sea, there will be a harvest of souls because he says in Colossians that Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence in all things. And if there are more people in hell than heaven, the devil won on souls. And I think I agree with Spurgeon. He'll reap a harvest that's greater, however God will do that. Number five, worry is unreasonable. Verse 32 through 34. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. It's not, that's not reasonable to do what they do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff he'll add to you. It's unreasonable. You've heard the saying, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff, people. There's a saying I, I say quite often. I'll be at a McDonald's window or I'll be somewhere where it's taking longer than they thought. Oh, I'm sorry it's taken so long. I always say the same thing. Don't worry about it, dear. I save my tears for the big things in life. 
It's foolish. It's unreasonable. You have a God who's caring for you. The Bible says a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's foolish to worry about all that stuff. Number six, verse 33. Don't worry because all the stuff you're worrying about is unimportant. Let me give you a practical example. What's the only thing, the only thing you can take to heaven with you? People. People. You know, this election, there's, we're watching this thing with the, the uh, illegal immigrants, and I have, a, I have one I believe. I believe it ought to be no country in the world. What country do you know has brought more people into this country? I believe it should be done. I believe it should be done legally. But the borders may be thrown wide open without any rules. But I said to someone the other day, well, you know, even in that, God is sovereign. I remember when I was in college. Remember when Vietnam fell? They, they told all the Alliance churches, be prepared. Would you take in a Vietnamese family? And Alliance people all over America in the, in the 70s took in Vietnamese people. Well, not long after that, Cambodia fell. And remember the movie, The Killing Fields? They literally, you could find a million bodies decaying in fields. If you were educated, you were killed. If you, uh, so everyone pretended to be uneducated. There was mass murder all over Cambodia. And many of those people swarmed to America. Now, the interesting part of this is the CNMA had been in Cambodia for 90 years and no fruit. But when all those immigrants came to America, take a guess who knew the language and who rushed people into the refugee center? The Christian and Missionary Alliance. And then some years back when we had our great bicentennial in the Alliance in Minnesota, I remember I was there, and of all places that they settled, Minnesota was where many of these Cambodian Hmong people settled. And I'll never forget one night there was a choir of Hamong people, and they're all cute little people about this short, this short. They're all short people. And they had this beautiful silver vest they wear, and their outfits were just gorgeous. There were 300 people in that choir singing. In the largest CNMA church in America at that time was Cambodian. So you know what I think? I think if, if Alliance people who speak these languages would go to these camps and meet these people and share the God, in the end, we'll win. Because saved people are conservative people. Now, now, Greg, I'm getting a little political here. So don't fire me next week, okay? But the Lord can take the most difficult, strange situation and bring glory out of it for himself. Then he says this, and we'll close with this verse, but seek first, make the first priority in your life the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the hearts and lives of people, and God will take care of all the other stuff. I love a quote by C.S. Lewis. If you seek heaven, or if you seek the earth, if that's where your aim is, you'll miss heaven. But if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth and heaven thrown in. 
Seek a first priority, the kingdom of heaven, because that's what's important. That's what you're going to take into eternity. That's what's going to last, the souls of people. I don't know about you, but I'll, I look forward to the day when I walk through heaven's gates and people run up to me and say, thank you, Reverend Peyton. Thank you that you shared the gospel with me. I, one of the first couples I led to the Lord, I'll never forget, the old couple next door said, I've got this young couple. They don't know the Lord. But for those of you who know Jeff, Henry, and Grace, could you come and share the gospel with them? I said, well, Henry, it'd be better if they would ask me, but I'll go. You know, So I went went to the house. He was a lapsed Methodist. She was Russian Orthodox. Neither went to church. And I just simply met with him, and I shared the gospel. Would you like to know Christ as your Savior? And the wife, for the rest of my years there, whenever I see her, reminded me, Pastor, we were so rude to you. We didn't want you there. I'm ashamed at how we treated you. But no, Doyle, we're not ready to do that today. So fine, you know, I share the gospel. Henry next door is happy. I went home. A week later, the phone rang, and it was the husband. And he said, Pastor, we're ready to pray that prayer now. My husband's dad lost his entire business, and that was going to be his business, and he's just at the end of his rope. And they came to church. They were faithful. They loved the Lord. They served him faithfully. And I'm gonna, one day I'm going to walk into heaven and think about working with Awana and with the children. There'll be children who run up to you and say, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. Because of that, I'm here, and I'm enjoying eternity. That's what's important in life. In Luke chapter 12, a passage that teaches the same one here in closing. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're going to get it all. And by the way, we're going to get the earth too. Uh, right now, I can't afford a home on the, on the uh, beaches in California. I'm going to get one one day. The earth is going to be ours as believers one of these days. We won't want it. We won't need it, but we'll get it. He says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, what no thief approaches and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stop worrying. You have a father who cares for you. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are many people who didn't have good earthly fathers, but we have a superior Heavenly Father who knows what we need, when we need it, who delights to hear our prayers and answer our prayers. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Paul said, stop worrying about everything. Instead, to trust the Lord. Don't worry about anything, everyth anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God that passes human understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And all of his people say it. Amen. God bless.